how it's going along nicely and Stephen roared up at me to bow them down and this was the spot more or less where Tom Crean had gone down the rope. This is Aileen Crean O'Brien from Kenmare in County Kerry. It's the 9th of October 2016 and she's on the island of South Georgia, a speck of rock near the South Pole. I started off anyway and it was grand. I kind of sat and lay back and I tried to steer with my body, but that wasn't possible. So then I picked up an awful lot of speed and I was scared. Aileen has just fallen badly and is lying on the ice. And then I pushed the toboggan off me and sat up and um, there was blood on the snow next to me and I was praying it wasn't blood for my knee. Aileen is 55. She's the granddaughter of the famous Antarctic explorer, Tom Crean. I cried and sobbed and cried and sobbed. Me of all people. Fuck. A <laughs> hundred years ago, her granddad, Tom, trekked across South Georgia with Ernest Shackleton and Frank Worsley after their Antarctic expedition turned to disaster. And uh, this is all I could think of. I can't finish, I can't finish, and I'd been as fit as a flea. The men had sailed more than 1,000 kilometres across the Southern Ocean in a tiny boat to get help for their comrades. An amazing achievement by any measure. I knew I was in serious trouble. I said, oh, no, I can't believe this. I'm not going to be able to do the traverse. Aileen was attempting to recreate the final leg of the men's perilous crossing of South Georgia when disaster struck. With temperatures plummeting and her expedition in doubt, Aileen Crean O'Brien is hundreds of miles from the nearest hospital in one of the remotest parts of the world. It's 2016, before South Georgia, and Aileen is serving customers in her restaurant. Yeah, yeah, table one and table, uh, table five. There's a line of customers. Get ready for the night now because it's very busy. Doing a few last minute jobs here now before the orders start coming in. But not everyone wants to place an order. Well, we, we are going to go from the Falklands here. Some customers want to talk to Aileen about her plans to follow in Tom's footsteps. Down to South Georgia, Tom and them, they had to go from Elephant Island to South Georgia. You wouldn't be able to see Santa when you're up there. No, because he's up in the North Pole and I'm going to the South Pole. So I'm mm -hmm. the wrong side. <laughs> Can I come? <laughs> I'm afraid not. <laughs> I don't think your mum would leave you go. Oh, you're dead. <laughs> for Aileen, preparing for this expedition started when she was a child. She grew up on a diet of stories about her grandfather, Tom Crean, a Royal Navy seaman who was part of three major expeditions to the Antarctic. In our house, it was like the sitting room and all his memorabilia was displayed there. You know, his dress sword, and there was um, a silver um, tea set that he got, and photographs, autograph photographs. So we had all those. And, of course, my mother, up in her bedroom in a cupboard, she had his Diddy box, which is... Um, all sailors have a Diddy box, and it was a wooden carved box, and 
he actually got as a gift from some of the other sailors when he was leaving one ship and moving to another one. And his polar medals were in there. Discovering this medal and a childhood where it was impossible to escape stories about Tom Crean instilled a spirit of adventure in Aileen. I'm very proud of him, you know, I'm in awe of him, really. But not any adventure. Um, I'm fascinated by what brought him back to the Antarctic three times, you know. You, you could go once and endure the hardships they endured and, and the dangerous things that happened. She always dreamed of following in her granddad's footsteps. So this was the last centenary of his last expedition. This was the last opportunity to, to honour him and get a sense of, of what he experienced. And these stories have been passed down to her two sons, Morgan and Cian. It's kind of a, just a nice balance of excitement and caution, I suppose, you know. It's, uh... To the extent that, down the road from Aileen's, they're working on the play that brought their great-granddad's story around the world. Aidan Dooley's Tom Crean, Antarctic Explorer. Well, surely, I say, surely then, you must have heard of Tom Crean. <laughs> How did they look at me like I got four heads? This is Morgan operating the sound desk. I just have a sound desk in front of me with uh, two small uh, speakers and we have a tripod set up. And Keane is setting up a photo exhibition. Uh, so we just have um, photos up of um, the expedition that Tom was on, um, the endurance one, um, some pictures from it. Some, um... But they're going to experience the real thing. Morgan and Keane are going to South Georgia with Ailey. We would land at Vashel Bay, at which point six of us would disembark. Morgan and Keane's father died in a road traffic accident. Years after his death, Aileen took inspiration from Tom and travelled. And it was in India that she met Bill from England. I, I love travelling. I love going to weird and wonderful places. Bill is coming too. So, yeah, I like to immerse myself in foreign cultures, yeah. Along with Bill and the boys, Aileen is flying 11,000 kilometres from Cork to London onto Santiago in Chile and the Falkland Islands. From there, the family will make a six-day sea crossing to South Georgia in a tiny boat. Then, they'll attempt to follow the same route as Tom Crean, across 48 kilometres of rugged peaks and glaciers. The route is known as the Shackleton Traverse. Aileen and her family have spent the last two years getting ready for the Traverse. But it, it is, it's quite a good workout and uh, kind of getting us ready. You know, you're, you're working a lot of your chest muscles. Aileen's son Morgan is 25. He lives in Cork. He's an English teacher and the front man in a funk band. But right now, he's got a thick rope tied round his waist and he's dragging a black tyre. When the harness is, is up fully, it's pulling on your stomach, so you have to kind of work breathe against it and to pull against the weight behind you. The family are training for their expedition in the Kerry Mountains. Morgan is pulling a tyre because when they go to South Georgia, they'll have to pull heavy sleds called pulks. The pulks weigh 100 pounds and will carry all their equipment. I was asking Craig about that because I was quite concerned. I said, if I'm carrying this big pulk behind and then we start going down the mountain, I said, that's that weight is going to gain momentum. Aileen doesn't know it, 
but she is right to be worried about the sleds. Is there a break? I can pull to slow it down like her. It'll drive me into wherever. A hundred pounds is heavy on dry land, but on the ice, the sleds can take on a life of their own. I, I did manage to catch one YouTube video of somebody yeah. doing exactly, you know, ski touring, hauling a pulk, and, yeah, you made it look very easy. <laughs> I do I always do. <laughs> I don't think it's as easy as you made it look. Yeah. But we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Morgan has no real experience climbing, but he's spent the last eight months learning and is beginning to sound like an expert. One of the important things with rope is to coil it tidily, pull the rope over, flick it behind your head again, and I could be repeating this and fill up your entire show. They are also getting used to tools called crampons. These are the crampons we use for walking on the ice. Crampons are spiky soles which attach to climbing boots and grip the ice. Like this set, Aileen's son Keen is showing Bill. And there's um, spikes on the sides of them and on the front and the back, so you can make sure you've got a good grip on them. Keen is 28. He also lives in Cork. He's a vet, looks a bit like his great grandfather, and is said to have the same easy way. So you can see on the bottom of them, there's a little metal bar with holes in it, and you just use that to adjust it to your, your foot size. The equipment can be dangerous. So having Bill around is a big plus. You quite easily catch because of the, the spikes on the, on the sides. Yeah. You, can, you can catch your, your leg and you just disappear off yeah. your cartwheel down a hill. Bill is a retired fireman and he knows how to handle dangerous situations. By the nature of the equipment, it indicates you're in a dangerous place if you're having to use it. So if you make a mistake, it can be fatal. The last thing to pack is a small dictaphone, which the family will use to record an audio diary. But already the media has started to record their journey, and the trip is getting national attention. Podcast, the Marion Finucane Show. So what will you be doing, and in what sense will you be following in his foot- footsteps? We sail from uh, the Falklands, from Stanley in the Falklands, um, in a 55-foot boat. Aileen is excited about the traverse. And it'll take approximately four days, hopefully, weather permitting. Um, when Crean did it now, they had, it was unchartered, so they did it in 36 hours. She says her bags are packed and she's ready to go. I suppose the fact that it was your granddad makes it very, very special for you. But I hope all four of you stay safe and well, OK? No we falling course, yeah. down crevasses or anything <laughs> like that. And just one thing, Marion, before yeah. I go... A hundred years ago, the Endurance sailed from London to Buenos Aires in Argentina before Ernest Shackleton attempted to make the first crossing by land of the Antarctic. And throughout all this, I was helped by a party of men who were regardless of themselves and only thinking of good of the expedition. But on September 21st, Aileen, Bill, Morgan and Kane fly 11,000 kilometres across the Atlantic before touching down on the Falkland Islands. OK, we just landed in Mount Pleasant in the Falklands. It's a bit chillier than Santiago. How do you find the Cian? Uh, it was quite interesting approaching. It looked like a giant desert in the, the middle of the ocean with clear blue skies and blue sea. 
and uh, surrounded by these little patches of dark clouds that look like sailboats. Um, yeah, it's a little bit chillier, but it's nice, fresh, crisp, cold. In the Falklands, their transport for the next leg of the journey is waiting. It's a 55-foot-long boat called the Pelagic, and it will travel through an ocean where waves can rise to the same height. It's a six-day voyage to South Georgia. Well, we finally set sail on the Pelagic. This morning was dull, uh, but fair weather, and uh, we're finally going. With Port Stanley fading in the distance, Aileen, who normally works in a small kitchen, gets used to the conditions on board. So we have to have our life jacket on the whole time on deck and uh, colder than I expected. The wind, yeah, it's fierce, chilly, so having to put on more layers. Bit of an operation to get to go to the toilet. Bit nervous about whether I'm going to get seasick. Uh, I've taken tablet, I have the bends on, but um, we'll see what happens and hopefully I'll find my sea legs. Swell picks up. And days into the voyage, Bill is still trying to find his sea legs. How are we feeling? Uh, I feel absolutely average, honestly. Give me terra firma, I think. What about you, Kian? Feeling pretty good. Um, probably a little full from lunch. It's absolutely fantastic. Nice chicken soup. Really enjoying it now. Feels really party. It's great. You've any seasickness at the moment, or uh, maybe very, very slight nausea, but uh, not as bad as I thought it would be. A hundred years ago, Tom Crean and the men experienced even worse weather. But unlike the Pelagic, which was built for these waters. They crossed the Southern Ocean in a tiny wooden lifeboat called the James Caird. She's designed for you to sit inside in her and hope that someone finds you. Not to travel across 800 miles across the roughest seas in the world in. One man stood as tall as a pole and said, raise the sail, and we did in a hurricane. We tacked and we swung and we swung and for nine hours we tacked. We held our distance. And then the sun rose and the wind died. On the morning of the sixth day, Bill wakes early. It's only 4 a.m. But from the bow of the ship, Bill remembers seeing South Georgia rising from the ocean. I have never seen such stark beauty in a landscape. It's just incredible, these jagged peaks towering up out of the ocean. I just don't know. So at 4am he came down, he woke me up and he said, Aileen, it's the first sighting South Georgia. So it was just so exciting. And um, so I ran up on deck. And prior to this we had like a blank canvas. OK, it was, it was rough and wavy at times, but it was just sea. Um, so then suddenly it was like somebody dropped Switzerland into the sea and you had these snow-covered mountains appearing out of the sea and it was just majestic. There are three peaks that, that tower up and point up into the sky and the spindrift roaring off them 
from the, from the winds up there. It was just amazing. I was looking at it and saying, George, this is where my grandfather was. And a hundred years ago, and I'm finally getting there, you know, so it was quite emotional. The pelagic docks at an inlet called Cumberland Bay. Sarah, 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 stay still. Kean and Morgan step into an icy wonderland. So it's absolutely picturesque down there. Like everywhere you turn, there's a, a stunning mountain or something, or a, a tree ton elephant seal just lying in the middle of the place. When they think back on it, they recall the effect of visiting one of the remotest places on the planet. were just spectacular. You just had these mountain ranges in the background. We were surrounded by the fossil of a whaling station with just all the derelict equipment and in among them then the, the wildlife, the seals, the birds. Um, it was just incredible. After a lifetime of stories and three years of planning, Aileen finally stands on South Georgia. We have most beautiful day. Sun is shining, skies are blue. The wildlife is in abundance. A cacophony of sounds. Two high crosses up the hill. It's just very moving. The whaling station itself is eerie. There's tools later on as if. Someone just disappeared. So peacefully. Just the sound of the birds. The sound of the seals. We're the only people walking around here. It's just so beautiful. The views are spectacular. But Aileen, Bill, Morgan and Keen know the conditions won't last. The weather in South Georgia changes quickly. And they need to meet their guides at the same spot where a hundred years ago Tom Crean and his comrades landed the James Caird after a miraculous sea crossing. It's called Cave Cove. Stephen Venables and Craig Jones are waiting. Yeah. But the, the, the width of, of the channel in, it's, it's amazing how they got in at all. Yeah, yeah. After a huge storm out at sea, it yeah. must have been bouncing out in that channel. Yeah. How many Jeez. times they faced those cliffs and thought, is this it? I think, didn't the boat break loose in the night and one of them went into the... This is Craig Jones. Yeah. You always got people out of trouble, didn't you? Yeah. 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 He ended up, up up to here in cold water and roaring for the rest of them because they hadn't the strength when they landed to get it far up enough up the beach. Yeah, yeah. He was on watch. Yeah. Stephen and Craig have been bringing expeditions to South Georgia for years, but only 60% are successful. Not everyone gets the same luck as Tom Crean. Yeah. And, and the rudder floated away then. That's right. And then came back in the came next morning. Came back morning. in, yeah. <laughs> I mean... They deserved a bit of luck after yeah, all that. Yeah. You make yeah. your own luck, you know. Yeah. Like the explorers before them, the family must cross glaciers and scale cliffs to complete the traverse. Aged 55, 
and more used to running a restaurant, the expedition is a real challenge for Ailey. Um, I have to say I'm very nervous about this afternoon going skiing with uh, Steve Venables. Um, I hope I won't let myself down. But anyway, we'll, we'll see this afternoon. We can only do our best. And hopefully Tom will look out for us. Wearing sunglasses to protect them from the snow blindness and windproof clothing, the family gets set to ski behind Stephen and Craig to where they camp for the night. Aileen wakes early the next morning. It's day 18 of the expedition. Saturday the 8th of October, 4.30am, I'm looking over in Peggy Bluff where they camped. Yeah. Aileen can see the same spot where a hundred years before Tom Crean rested. He took every screw from the cared canvas and he drilled them into the bottom of our boots to give us grip on the ever-growing ice. Before setting off in wet clothes with no map and no provisions. Six meals squashed into socks wrapped around our belts. Fifty foot of rope and the carpenter's axe. That's all we took. We left the rest, including the timepiece, at Peggotty Camp. Aileen, Bill, Morgan and Keen follow the guides further inland towards their first big obstacle, Crean Glacier. It was a tough, steep climb for about 20 minutes. After 12 kilometres, with darkness falling and the wind picking up, they set up camp a thousand metres above the glacier. And then happy days were at the camp and we had to dig it out to level it so our troubles out from digging. We got the tents up and got in, all secured with ice axe and we had to shovel snow then onto the flaps to keep the wind out. But it was total white out, couldn't see anything. When they wake the next morning, they have to descend 1,500 metres down the glacier. They fix climbing ropes. But there's more than poor visibility and cold to reckon with. It's spring in the Antarctic, and rising temperatures has melted ice and brought other hazards. Bill and Kean are almost at the safety point when they're alerted to something above. Kean and Bill recall looking up. Suddenly out of nowhere, it's um, rock fall just came straight across us, whizzing by. Hurtling down this um, this very steep slope with these chunks of rock the size of a football, bouncing and leaping in the air at, I don't know what speed, 60, 70, 80 miles an hour, just taking these huge leaps coming down, and I shouted to Keen, rock fall, rock fall, get out of the way, get out of the way. We're lucky we were kind of knocked off the next day. After the rockfall, they continue down the glacier. Bill is roped up and wearing his crampons for grip, when suddenly... I drop down this cliff. Bill remembers the rope coming loose and him falling forward. Bill's sliding. He's struggling to stop himself. Remember struggling trying to turn to face the cliff and to get my axe in, and I landed in a snowdrift, started to slide down, and then got my axe in to stop me from going any further.
it's another close call. And the family has one last section to descend before setting up camp on the glacier. At this spot 100 years before, Tom Crean and his comrades slid down this glacier on their backsides. I wrap my legs around the boss's belly. I wrap my arms around his shoulders. Worsley did the same. Worsley wrote in his diary that night, it was shooting into space, not knowing at any moment if you were going to live or die. In October 2016, Aileen remembers watching Morgan and Keane climb into their pulks and slide down the slope. I saw Stephen uh, toboggan down, and I saw Morgan toboggan down. And then up at the top, I saw Keane go bombing down. He went so fast, he went flying past them. Aileen gets into her pulk, but unbeknownst to anyone, she's still wearing her crampons. I started off anyway, and it was grand. I kind of sat and lay back and I tried to steer with my body, but that wasn't possible. So then I picked up an awful lot of speed and I was scared. On the descent, the pulk picks up even more speed and Aileen struggles to keep control. So I suppose the instinctive thing was to put my foot out to slow it down, which I did. But of course I had crampons on. They jarred. The original explorers risked sledging into heavy mist only to come out the other side. I sat up and tried to move my right leg and I couldn't. Aileen isn't so lucky. She is lying on her back in agony. And I knew it was fucked. Um, there was blood on the snow next to me. I was praying it wasn't blood from my knee. Eventually, I knew I was in serious trouble. I said, oh, no, I can't believe this. I'm not going to be able to do the reverse. This is all I could think of. I can't finish, I can't finish. And I'd been as fit as a flea. Morgan remembers seeing Aileen draped over her pulk. I don't know if first aid myself, but I knew that it was really important that she stayed exactly where she was until Bill or Craig, the guides, came down so that they could instruct us on what to do. Bill didn't see the accident, but he recalls Aileen's distress. I could see her face was ashen. She was in a huge amount of pain. I said to her, look, look, kid, we can't leave you here, because she didn't want to be moved. She was in such pain. She did not want to be moved, but we had to. So we gently, as, as much as we could, lifted her back on, draped her over her, the pulk, got her back onto the pulk. Uh, I mean, all the kit was still inside the pulk, so it must have been, you know, all, it was awkward for her. But the two of us, Morgan and I, then pulled her on the pulk over to the tent, which Stephen had, had started to set up. Bill and Morgan place Aileen in a tent. And while they go in search of a first aid kit, Aileen records her diary. Just so upset. I can't even think about it. I just have to concentrate on getting better now. Forget about it. Hopefully I can get back to finish it. Later, Bill realises the importance of his training as a fireman when showing the guides how to remove Aileen's boot. So at that point, I told him how to sort of reverse pull on her leg while I um, took her ski boot off. And all she did was wince. It was, she was just so tough. It was amazing. So, inspected her foot, 
it's obvious she can't continue. I never for once envisaged I'd fail. I'd let the team down, I can't believe it. As I was fighting fit, I was lying. Stupid, stupid. Bill recalls the gravity of the situation. With conditions worsening and no medical support, he and Kean have to get Aileen off the island. We've got a seriously injured casualty here. We need to be getting moving. We knew she wasn't going to be able to finish it and she was kind of heartbroken over that. And um, at the same time, we knew we just had to get her out as fast as possible just to get her to care. The guides make an emergency call and organise a pickup at a place called Fortuna Bay. But it's 10 kilometres away. Aileen is strapped into her pulk and Stephen Venables begins dragging her to the pelagic. Aileen is disorientated and her memory of being in the pulk is terrifying. At this stage, Stephen was, was skiing down the mountain, so I had no idea of where I was, whether I was behind him, above him, below him, or I was disorientated. And then at one stage, he was kind of slowing down, and next thing I went, the whole pulk went on the side, and I, I, was, I was terrified, and I, and I was trying to rummage and get my hands out, because my hand, and I have visions of my face stuck in the snow, and he's dragging me along with face down. So I let a roar out of me. I said, Stephen, I said, what are you doing? I said, the pulk is on its side, and he said, oh, I'm just turning. I said, oh, God, I said, would you ever tell me when you're doing wheelies again? It takes two days to reach Fortuna Bay. But there's a major hazard between the expedition and the pelagic. On board the pelagic, the crew can see huge cracks in the ice, hidden by snow, that a man could fall into. The skipper was on the beach with a radio and could guide us down with a route that was safe away from the crevasses that we couldn't see, but he could from the beach. The guides weave a path to the pelagic and Aileen is lifted onto the boat. On board, she realises how bad her injuries are. Uh, the doctor, local doctor, has been into me. Um, so she thinks I've shattered bones down along my shin and this possibly three breaks. It's very, very small and it's huge, actually. I made right shit of it. Because of Aileen's injuries, she's grave concerns about the return journey. The boat is badly equipped to deal with her injuries and there's a storm building. If some emergency happened with my leg, I was there in the, out in the middle of nowhere um, with no one to tent it. Stuck on the Southern Ocean in a tiny boat, in terrible weather, could potentially be life-threatening. But then, a lifeline appears on the horizon. Bill sees a Royal Navy vessel sail into view. The same naval attachment Tom Crean served. Whoa, I wonder if, if we can get her on there. Fantastic. That, that, this is what we want. When we saw the battleship Clyde come in... Um the bay and we knew that she could get out on that safely. The family get ready to leave South Georgia on the HMS Clyde. But then Aileen surprises everyone. She tells Bill, Morgan and Kean to stay and finish the traverse. Kean remembers Aileen telling him she was in good hands and on her way to hospital. 
she was adamant that we finish it as well. <laughs> she said basically that someone was going to finish it, that we were down here. So The endurance expedition split when Tom Crean and his comrades sailed from Elephant Island to South Georgia to get help. Now, the Crean-O'Brien family split as Aileen leaves her partner and sons behind to finish the adventure her grandfather started. It's Tuesday, the 18th of October, nearly a full month since the expedition left for South Georgia. Bill, Morgan and Kean rejoined the Traverse. Between them and the finish, there's a glacial slope, Green Lake, Shackleton Waterfall and then the old whaling station at Stromness. On the glacier, no one's saying it. But everyone's thinking about Ailey, sailing further and further away. Oddly enough, we didn't walk as a, as a group. Because it was a big, wide plain, we were like five separate people walking across this plain, lost in our own thoughts, no doubt. Their trek towards the finish brings them across a meltwater river and then Cream Lake. Which was, it was completely frozen over, so it, it looked much like the land around it, but uh, there was a point on the GPS where it was marked, so the two of us got to stand on that. We were kind of joking about, about us stepping out and Crean, a hundred years ago, fell into it. Fell into Crean Lake. They clear the glacier and clamber down the waterfall. In the distance, the boys can see the mazy route Tom Crean travelled before them. Up the side of one more mountain. Bill Morgan and Kean climb the last steps to the top and shake hands like Tom Crean and the men did a hundred years before them. At 6am, 27 hours after we started, we heard the wake-up whistle of the whaling station and then in a second we doubted that we heard it. The first sound of humanity we had heard apart from ourselves in nearly two years. Still took us until three o'clock that afternoon to find the blasted place. Standing on the mountain top at Stromness, Keen remembers the view of the whaling station where Tom Crean and the men were rescued. Uh, it's just spectacular to be in a place where these legends had walked, you know, a hundred years ago. You could... I could understand their relief. There was... I, I imagine our feelings were an iota of what they felt was uh, immense. There was also a little bit of regret that Mom wasn't with us, but also we were happy that we'd done it in her stead. Thousands of kilometres away from the mountaintop at Stromness, Aileen is recovering in hospital. But she can take telephone calls. Aileen Crean O'Brien, good morning to you. Good morning, Marion. Where you? are you? Where am I? I'm in a hospital in Santiago, so I obviously didn't listen to you very well. <laughs> it would appear not. What happened? Aileen is disappointed, but on the mend. She explains that her family finished the Treffers. The others yeah. of your group, your partner, the two lads, they, they yeah, did yeah. the Traverse. They did, yeah. They continued. I was anxious for somebody to complete it. Yeah. So and have I you seen them Saturday. since? No, no, I haven't seen them. I got a text from Bill to say that they were in Stanley 
So he's coming over early in the morning to see me in the hospital. The family are reunited and returned to Kerry. But memories of South Georgia and the Antarctic are never far away. Aileen struggles to sum up what Tom Crean might have made of her attempt. That's an emotional one. I don't know. I'm the one who took the baton from the family, so in a way I feel I left him down and left them down. In the years after he and the men were rescued, Tom left the Royal Navy and returned to Ireland, where he got married and ran a small pub, the South Pole Inn, in the small Kerry village of Annisgall. I gave my best shot, and in my opinion, I feel I didn't succeed, but I did my best. That's all I could do. I, I would have no doubt at all that he would have a twinkle in his eye and he'd be absolutely delighted what his granddaughter had achieved. And there are those when I come home that say to me, why, Tom, why do you go to the last place on earth? Is there something wrong with you? And I think, of course, you've never been. But you've just said why, I say. You've just said why. The last place on earth. Can you not imagine, I say to them, just imagine standing, standing where no one had ever stood before to see a vista, never a foreseen. That would be magnificent to be the first Irishman. And a bit like the original endurance expedition, Aileen didn't quite achieve what she set out to do. But then, in another way, Maybe fate decided on a different ending for her adventure. One where her two sons walked in her granddad's footsteps. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to think that he'd, he'd be proud of us too, that we um, you know, went down there and accomplished, accomplished it. She demonstrated the, the spirit that Tom Crean had, the spirit of just continuing to drive on, no matter what obstacle was in their, in their way. You know, and she really showed off the, the cream, cream way, I suppose. 